Hello there, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or whatever time of day it is for you. For us here, it's time for Left After Breakfast, here on 3CR. And it's our second last show for the year of 2021. I'll be bringing you the usual suspects from my team. In the meantime, I just want to have a quick couple of words about an organisation called Hillsong. Hillsong, of course, is a church, a global evangelical church. And I'm interested in a documentary by the BBC on this church where it goes a lot into the celebrity culture, the sex scandals and the questionable financial dealings. It has a great name, this documentary. It's called Hillsong Church, God Goes Viral, and it features footage captured during two years. Nick Eldridge is the London-based producer, and he spent two years with Hillsong leaders, and it includes clips from about a dozen of the 37 churches worldwide, notably in the US, the UK, and here in Australia. And apparently, the leaders in Hillsong are now very sorry that they gave permission to allow people to be interviewed for this documentary. It opens with a bang, as Hillsong's dance production at a 26th conference features routines like Cirque du Soleil and fireworks on stage. Wow, well, this presentation of Hillsong as more glitz than substance continues throughout the film. Mm, well done. Through interviews and clips of public ministry and behind-the-scenes moments, God Goes Viral presents a wide-angle lens on Hillsong, which you must remember has 150,000 people in weekly attendance, and $150 million in annual revenue. Brian Houston, the founder, says, Churches are usually old, boring, irrelevant and empty. I always thought church should be enjoyed, not endured, with plenty of life and spontaneity in it. It's an exciting place to be, and it's full. Well, fair enough for Brian Houston to say, Brian, who is in Sydney granted the filmmaker a sit-down interview, but now he's denouncing the film as skewed and says he regrets granting the BBC an interview. Now, this comes, of course, dear listener, after a year of turmoil for Hillsong, with all the allegations of sexual abuse, financial misconduct and several pastoral resignations. In April... Hillsong even shut down its Dallas campus after the reports that the pastors had used church donations to fund their lavish lifestyle. Golly, I'm in the wrong business, listener. The most detailed documentation of alleged financial misdeeds comes in interviews with former Hillsong East Coast staffer Megan Fallon. Echoing previous reporting about the church, she says... Senior pastors were given prepaid credit cards for church-related expenses. When Megan matched the receipts 
what they were for and why they were spent, she realised there was something a bit fishy. There were designer clothes, meals of $1,000 in high-end restaurants charged to the church. The lead pastor was ousted after this for moral failures, including an affair, followed by another pastor who also resigned because of infidelity. I don't really care about their affairs and infidelity. I don't really care about their church at all. But this is what this church is about. Several young volunteers were interviewed from various Hillsong places and they tell their stories in the film and they talk about their years of service in the church and how they accrued value only to top leaders. They saw themselves as being exploited. Being exploited. (laughs) Well, there you go. Can you imagine a church exploiting anyone? It's beyond me. At one stage in this documentary, we see the church leaders on a tourism trip to Jerusalem. Hillsong staff are shown making culturally insensitive comments. Now, if I had made such culturally insensitive comments, I'd be up on a charge. But oh well, there you go. The same Hillsong staff also drank water at the Western Wall, water intended for hand washing. About a quarter of this documentary is spent reviewing the sordid details around Frank Houston, Brian Houston's father. Frank Houston, another charismatic minister, and prior to his death in 2004, Frank Houston sexually assaulted at least one and likely several children over the years. Starting in 2012, Australian officials convened the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse. In the documentary, we see clips of Brian Houston appearing before that panel in 2014. Yes, well, we know everything was covered up, but it's not covered up anymore. In recent months, of course, Houston has apologised for the failings of church leaders and for the failings of his father. He says he's reassessing policies surrounding pastoral accountability. Well, yeah, as he should. But why am I going on about Hillsong? Why? Is it because I'm angry with the JobKeeper money that they got? It was only five million. Only five million. A nice handout of that much money to them. Do they pay tax? They are a registered church. And registered churches don't pay taxes. So that's five million dollars of our money gone to them. But that's not all. The Queensland building group, Privium, has collapsed into administration, leaving subbies across Queensland, Victoria and New South Wales totally buggered. They have debts of apparently more than $28 million, and they filed for voluntary administration. Well, that's sad, it actually is. But the strange thing is, dear listener, that just prior to going into voluntary administration, the group Privium managed to transfer millions of assets into Hillsong. 
It's all about the prosperity gospel thing, is it? I mean, it must be really real. Jesus destroyed all these little subcontractors and destroyed all those people who left with unfinished homes and he's transferred their money to gospel wallopers because those subcontractors didn't pray enough. I mean, that's pretty serious, serious thing, isn't it? That a company can go broke and still manage to transfer huge assets into a church. Whatever you do, don't trust a church. Any church. Don't let your friends trust a church. And keep in mind always, Australia is a secular country. We want to keep it that way, a secular country. You will eat by and by In that glorious land above the sky Work and pray, live on hay You'll get high in the sky when you die That's a lie <laughs> Long-haired creatures come out every night Try to tell you what's wrong and what's right But when asked about something to eat They will answer with voices so sweet You will eat by and by In that glorious land above the sky Work and pray, live on hay You'll get by in the sky when you die, that's all starvation army they say <laughs> while they sing and they clap and they pray till they get all your coin on the drum then they'll tell you that you're on the bum you will eat by and by in the glorious land above the sky work and pray Listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au. And another thing about Hillsong, proving that getting ahead is conditional in Australia. It's no secret that our Prime Minister sings songs of praise. You know, he's riding shotgun in the Cadillac of Jesus. You know, he wanders around with a camera crew when he goes into churches. 
his laying of hands on people. Oh, golly, don't let him touch you, listener. If you see him anywhere, don't let him put his paw on you. It means he's laying on his hands and praying. But in his maiden address to Parliament in 2008, he gave shout-outs to three prominent religious leaders, the Uniting Church's Ray Green and Hillsong Supremo Brian Houston. There was a third name mentioned in that speech, and that name was Lee Coleman. Lee Coleman's name has been remarkably obscured from public view. Lee Coleman was the CEO of Hillsong Emerge. That's the charitable arm of the Hillsong Church. And he had been in the Labour Party's sights. Labour was probing the Howard government for its links to this church. And in 2005 and 2006, Lee Coleman was mentioned many times in both the New South Wales and the federal parliaments. But by the time Morrison stepped up to Canberra and gave him the shout-out, it seemed that no one remembered him. But over the last few years, Lee Coleman's name is linked to a company called Servgate. And when I say his name is linked, it's linked because he founded that company and he runs that company. And he has won more than $43 million in federal contracts, mostly from defence, while being a registered charity set up to address Indigenous unemployment and disadvantage. Well, not doing much actual charity work in it. $43 million in government grants, paid for by you and me, for him, who doesn't do much paying of tax, what with the religious thing. Oh, look, a friend of the Prime Minister. He now has allegations of fraud and bribery. And these are allegations, not charges. They are only allegations. This company, Servgate Australia, it subcontracts any work out to conventional, non-Indigenous consultancies and uses all the profits to pay Coleman's salaries. So they provide mentoring to Indigenous businesses, wherever they may be and whoever they may be. This is why it's being investigated. The company's website makes no mention of its charity status and companies that have received subcontracted work through Servgate said they weren't aware it was a charity. Servgate said the website dated from before the company was a charity and they'd have to, you know, refresh the website soon. Oh, golly. Lee Coleman, long-term family friend of Scott Morrison, our mad religious prime minister. He says he's never misused any relationship with Mr Morrison. He says he's apolitical. Well, there you go, 43 million in grants to a, a mate of Morrison, and now this mate is up under charges. So much for looking out for Indigenous unemployment. Another bloody blow, another disgusting, shameful trick on our Aboriginal people. Uh, good morning, you're listening to 3CR, the only radio left. You are indeed listening to 3CR. You're listening to Left After Breakfast. 
My name is Susanna Tuffy, and I've been waxing somewhat wroth about Hillsong and the various financial dealings and the money that people are picking up from our Prime Minister. But I want to remind you again that Australia is a secular country. No one seems to have told our Prime Minister that. Sometimes it's very hard to spot the difference between Morrison's, well, ravings, and those people that I see yelling in Burke Street. You know, the ones that make me want to cross the road with their signs up, you know, repent, repent. There are rational people who would suggest that the Prime Minister is not well. And I have come across compassionate people who say that he needs help. But I'm not compassionate. I will look at his belief system and I will look at his character because it's in our national interest. This belief in some bloke in the sky is really difficult for for a Prime Minister to put over us, heaven's sake. When we're looking at the climate debate, climate debate, as if there's any debate about it, you realise the Prime Minister reads the apocalyptic verses from the book of Revelations and the company he keeps. Even a secular society has its share of, you know, nutcases. But in any universe, fictional or otherwise, we'd be concerned to find out the Prime Minister's religion and its dealings with a declared terrorist group. Scott Morrison has downplayed and refused to sever his close links to Tim Stewart, one of the nation's primary QAnon adherents. And this connection has national security implications, as QAnon doesn't particularly like election results that don't go their way. I am really sick and tired of a rabid religious freak sitting in Parliament. I'll just remind you that that is what he is, and he believes that the end times are coming. So it doesn't matter what you do, because God's about to destroy the world. Jesus is coming again, just to get the rich people, though. he leave the rest of us alone. Oh, golly. I won't go on too much again about the the foul deeds done by this Prime Minister. I won't even mention the little children, the little family locked up. I won't mention the dreadful abuse for refugees. I won't even mention that. I won't even go on about the cashless debit card, the cashless welfare card. We'll just say, look at this religious freak. And there's an election coming, listener. Make sure you vote rationally in a secular country like Australia. We have to fight back, listener. We just have to. And I want to play a little bit of music for you here, a little stirring song, and I dedicate it to Holly Medlin. Holly has joined a revolutionary socialist organisation one that's committed to workers' struggle and liberation. And this is a Turkish song, all those Turks. And it's called, well, I can't say it in Turkish, but it means To the Barricades. And I dedicate it to Holly.
Bütün dallar sığıyor diyor Yukarı bulutta kör eder gözleri Ölüm ve acı beklese de bizleri Onları yemek için yürümeliyiz ve Elinde geldi varlığımız özgürlük Cesaret ve inançla savunmalıyız Haydi barikata, haydi barikata Ekmek adalet ve özgürlük için Haydi barikata, haydi barikata Ekmek adalet ve özgürlük için Kalbimizle, kardeşlerimizle Tüm dünyada büyüyor direniş Haydi barikata, haydi barikata Ekmek adalet ve özgürlük için Haydi barikata, haydi barikata Ekmek adalet ve özgürlük için Tüm dünyada büyüyor direniş Haydi barikata, haydi barikata Ekmek adalet ve özgürlük için Haydi barikata, haydi barikata Ekmek adalet ve özgürlük için Haydi barikata, haydi barikata Ekmek adalet ve özgürlük için Haydi barikata, haydi barikata Ekmek adalet ve özgürlük için Haydi barikata, haydi barikata Ekmek adalet ve özgürlük için Haydi barikata, haydi barikata Ekmek adalet ve özgürlük için Well, there you go. You've learned some Turkish. Apart from hummus, you can now say Haydi barikata, Haydi barikata To the barricades. And it's time for Ask Bucko. He'll tell you. Peter Dutton's had a, a rough few weeks. Firstly, he was deeply offended when he was called a rape apologist. He said so in court where he was suing Shane Batsy, an unemployed refugee advocate. Mr Batsy used Twitter to make his comment. I suspect that many Twitter readers agreed with him, but that's not a defence. It depends on what you feel the word apologist means. And then there is the flawed Australian defamation law where the judge decides what the reader probably imputed from your statement. So you're not judged on what you said, but on what someone else decided you meant to say. Even Christian Porter wanted to change that aspect of this law before commencing on his own legal adventures. Mr Bazzi was responding to a statement Dutton had made in 2019. His tweet linked to a Guardian article where Dutton made the claim that rape victims on Nauru were fabricating their claims. This is a direct quote. Some people are trying it on, he said. Let's be serious about this. There are people who have claimed that they've been raped and come to Australia to seek an abortion because they couldn't get one on Nauru. They arrived in Australia, then decided that they were not going to have an abortion. They have the baby here, and the moment they step off the plane... Their lawyers lodge papers in the federal court, which injuncts us from sending them back. Now that is a sensitive statement, isn't it? 
The same day the tweet was posted, Mr Dutton had said he was unaware of the she-said-he-said details of Brittany Higgins's rape allegations. These words can be construed as police-speak, formulaic, dismissive and designed to cast equal weight on the male-female narrative scales. Miss Higgins was claiming she had been raped. Her alleged assailant was not claiming to have been raped and so the formula is all wrong. There is no moral equivalence. The problem with Dutton's public pronouncements is that so many of them are wrong or without evidence or just another way of drawing attention to himself. Many of them are offensive and many set up straw men for the public to fear and loathe. Pedophiles and pacifists are two groups he targets and the Chinese communists are an old favourite. Some can be interpreted as dog whistling, such as when he demonises refugees or Muslims, even African gangs. On a lighter note, he did want to assist white South African farmers in fleeing their own country because of perceived racial prejudice. So irony is not dead. There's always a whiff of lingering leadership tensions about Peter Dutton, and he obviously thinks that what works for him in his electorate of Dixon works everywhere. It doesn't. How about his deciding to end wokeism in the Defence Forces? Who is he trying to dog whistle that day? Who in Australia does not have a member of his or her family or friendship group who's non-binary or, an, or a member of the LBGQTI community? Peter Dutton is a minister in Scott Morrison's government. Shane Bazzi is unemployed and his defamation defence was crowd-funded. He advocates for refugees. In an ironic sense, Shane Bazzi's family has been defamed by Dutton as he is descended from the Lebanese migrants who arrived in the 1970s. You might recall that in 2016, when he was Immigration Minister, Dutton said that Malcolm Fraser had made a bad mistake by letting in Lebanese Muslim migrants in the 1970s. His reasoning is, as we have come to expect from Mr Dutton, shallow, misleading and discriminatory, both racially and religiously. He believes that no matter how long these people are in Australia, they and their descendants are more likely to commit criminal offences. While mathematically unable to be proven or disproved, when queried on his statement, he responded that the figures supported him and that he would not be intimidated into reconsidering his position. I have been personally offended by many of Dutton's statements, but to this stage I have not sued him for offending me. There are many pithy comments which describe this situation, but my favourite is the pot calling the kettle black. Second favourite, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. If he truly believes in free speech, he could stop trying to silence people who object to his simplistic worldview. If it begins to look like, like we are being dragged into a war on China, he will be the culprit and the reason will be cheap political advantage. Peter Dutton has recently floated the idea of us taxpayers bearing the cost of politicians' defamation cases, seeing it as a workplace entitlement. If you cannot have a diversity morning tea, forget the public funding for defamation proceedings. Thank you for listening. And you can find Bucko at askbucko.com. 3CR And I've tracked down the oh-so-elusive bagman.
Well, good morning, Bagman, and this is our second last program for the year. Oh, good morning, Susan, and good morning, listeners. I'm great. I'm glad to hear that news that we've only got one more week to go because we'll be then full of Christmas cheer and Christmas pudding, I should imagine. Now, just a disclaimer here, I've turned the television off so you won't hear horse racing in the, in the background. I've turned my telephone off so my bookie won't be ringing uh, while we're on air. Um, so I feel a million dollars today. And there's one reason why I feel like a million dollars, Susan, and that's because I have just had my booster shot for COVID-19. So I'm invincible. I've had two AstraZeneca's and one Pfizer. So I'm pretty sure that I'm not going to die in the very, very near future. Well, not from COVID anyway. That's exactly right. And look, before I get serious, let me get serious. Why on earth would the Victorian government even contemplate easing the restrictions on unvaccinated people and especially tennis players? Well, thousands of people are reported as catching and in other cases even dying of this virus. Now, the simple fact is thousands of unvaccinated people marching in the streets, they place the vaccinated uh, in constant danger of succumbing to a horrible or even deadly fate in our overworked health system. Now, we've seen the death rate in Sydney. We've seen the COVID rate. We've seen the death rate. Victoria has a, a COVID rate of in the thousands and 10 to 15 people are dying each day. So not until our rate of daily infection is at least comparable to that, to that of Sydney should we even consider rewarding those responsible for allowing our rate to hover at such high levels. It's just not fair. There are thousands of people catching the virus each day. There are tens of people dying of the virus each day, and it's because politicians and freedom fighters, as they call themselves, the people that pissed on the shrine and the people that assaulted our police are free to march in the streets. Now, they should not have any restriction lifted on them until such time as the rate of COVID is at a manageable level. I think they're allowed to march in the street, and they're not thousands, Bagman, not thousands. Well, if if you see their propaganda, Susan, there was a, a march in the city uh, two weeks ago where they claimed 850,000 people march in the street. Not Not true. true. But they believe it. That's the main thing. And while those people are marching in the streets, they are placing the sick and the vulnerable uh, in danger of catching COVID and then dying. Well, 23 of those people who admitted to being in a a so-called protest in the street, they've come down with COVID and two of them are in intensive care. 
Well, my heart is not breaking. I'm sorry, but it's not. I think, Susan, the revised figures now are the 35 people from the protests on the streets, on the steps of Parliament, have now caught the virus, and 19 are in the intensive care unit. Um, my heart doesn't bode for them at all, Susan. I feel no pity for them. I do feel pity for their family and their friends who unwittingly catch the virus and may die. Those people, in part, politicians and those protesters, are in part responsible for every person that catches the virus and every person that dies from this point on. And I feel for our hard-working medical staff. Oh, absolutely, Susan. And uh, there was an emergency nurse who died last week, and we must say commiserations to the family of Jill Dempsey. She died um, trying to save the lives of these people that have no conscience at all. Outrageous and dreadful and all those words, <laughs> more, more words I can't say on air. Because it makes no difference to them, Susan. They are influenced by by the um, QAnon conspiracies and it, it, you could not convince them that they are wrong. Um, now, you know and I know that people watch Sky News for one reason, to confirm their bigotry and their bias. They don't actually watch the news itself but I never thought it would happen you know I'm I'm in my early 70s now and I've had a hard life I never ever thought it would happen but it has happened because a former chief of staff to Tony Abbott, uh, Abbott uh, Peter Credlin has issued a four minute apology to the Sudanese community for defamation where she accused those people of spreading the virus by not being vaccinated and she's had to issue her second uh, apology to that community for um, speaking bullshit like most of the other people that are on Sky News, the Paul Murrays, the, uh, the Rowan Deans and the Rita Penner High from the Herald Sun, they speak nothing but vile things. <sighs> so I assume that this is a court order that she has to apologise. That's right. Exactly, Susan. She's had to because she was found to be totally wrong on two occasions. The second occasion was she's had to apologise to the same people from the South Sudanese community. Now, I don't make any accusations. Maybe it's because they're black. Um, who knows? Who knows? I make well, no accusations at all. Well, they're easy to pick on, aren't they? Because they're pretty visible. I mean, you can't, right. I mean, you can't point out a crowd in the shopping centre and say, look, there's a Maltese person in there. That's can right. you? you can't, no, you but, can't. But you can, but you can say, oh, look, there's a couple of people from the Horn of Africa. Yes. Well, can, look, look, I tell you what, 
I've got a couple of people from the Horn of Africa in my shopping centre, and oh, they right. stand out because they're security guards, oh, and they're right. very big. They're very big and very tall. In fact, oh no, you've you... one of them. One of them is a good friend of mine now because the first time I met him, I walked into the uh, supermarket, and he wanted friend. to hurt you. No, well, <laughs> I, yes. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have put up too much of a fight. <laughs> he was a very attractive young man. Oh, but, I right. walked, but I walked in with a friend of yours. No. I haven't got too many friends, Susan. No, um, my, some people would say that they would all fit in the sidecar of a motorbike. Uh, it's a big sidecar, mate. No, I walked in with a friend of yours whose yeah. initials start with whose initials start with Irene Bolger. Oh, good. And she took one look at the security guard, the six foot six of him there, and said, I wish you played for Collingwood. Uh, she probably she probably swooned, Susan. And she's, and, a, she's a, a next door neighbour to you now. I better look over my side fence then. She only lives about 500 metres from your house. Uh, uh, across the creek and up the hill. Well, I'm in the Paris end of Clifton Hill. Yeah, well, <laughs> you, yeah, you, you deserve each other. <laughs> but that now, security guard has been a good friend of mine ever since. Yeah, well, you, you, you'll never see a small South Sudanese boy or a uh, a bouncer from uh, from New Zealand. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that's small. Uh, oh, anyway, <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm laughing. I'm yeah. laughing. I've uh, seen plenty of those boys over the years. I've seen plenty of those boys from New Zealand who have you've never on... seen a skinny one. No, no, I haven't. But I've seen plenty <laughs> of them at doors of places where I've gone along. You know, they hear a band. Plenty of places when there's a gig on, and I'll tell you what, never ever ever cross a Maori. No. Don't don't get into a blue with him. Just no. don't. No, Never. I'm, I'm agreeing with you, Susan, in case there are any big Maoris listing. Oh, I have nothing but respect for them. Oh, I'll so tell you right. what, but they really are um, warriors, mate. If they That's start right. a fight, they don't stop. What do you, what do you call a, a Maori... On Valium. <laughs> what? Once what were you... warriors. Once were warriors. Oh. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I'll let that go then. Now look, talk about talk about something coming back to bite you on the bum. Well, here's a bike. Recently been removed to the back benches. He's not only been bitten on the bum but someone's kicked him in the salada crackers because Alan Tudge, who has recently been accused by his, oh, what would you call her, his, his partner uh, at the moment, or a woman he was having an affair with who happened to work in his office, and she accused him of not only sleeping with her, but one day when she received a phone call, he kicked her, literally out of the bed. He kicked her in the back onto the floor um, and that's the kind of bloke he is. But we go back to 2016, Susan, and he said, 
This is Alan Tudge. Um, he said that he was in charge of the robo-death, the legal robo-death that was inflicted on the people of Australia. And he said, if you don't pay back the debt, we'll find you, we'll track you down, and we'll have, and you'll have to repay those debts or you may end up in prison. Crikey. Come back to bite him on the bum. Well, I can say this to Alan Touch. No matter where you run to, we'll find you. We'll track yes. you down. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au. Well, look, Susan, I, I've always respected hard-working women in this country, and we have one of the hardest-working women in this country that we should be looking up to, a real pioneer. Uh, you know, she's had her nose to the grindstone since she was a very small child. Uh, she, as a matter of fact, she started working in the coal mine when she was five years old. And then she went on to a couple of years later working in asbestos mines, breaking up the asbestos with her bare hands. That's the type of woman that we should be looking up to. Now, unfortunately, when her mum passed on, um, she had to take in the washing so that she could earn a quid uh, to feed her kids and whatever. As a matter of fact, at one stage, she was working as a dishwasher for 50 cents a week um, in the hospitality industry. Now, that's the type of person that I'm looking up to, and there should be statues made of her. Now, I'm going to give you a quote from this pioneer woman, and she said, and I kid you not, women need to work harder, do more overtime and not take lunch breaks if they want to climb the corporate ladder. Now, there's a person who's never suffered a bead of sweat on her forehead, um, inherited all the money from her father, who said that, uh, well, you have to break a couple of omelets, or you have to break a couple of eggs to make an omelette. Um, and now, no saying anything about her size or her look, Susan, uh, but, you know, Gina Reinhardt, could you believe the cheek of that woman? And not only the cheek of that woman, but the cheek the, uh, of her class. What, women should work more overtime and not take a lunch break if they want to get on? That's right. That's when right. Has she ever done that? Well, that's exactly what I said. But she said, if you want to climb the corporate ladder, don't take lunch breaks, do more overtime and work just that bit harder. Well, I tell <sighs> you what, Bagman, if I want to climb the corporate ladder, I want to make sure I'm born into the right family first. Well, exactly. She's never had a bead of sweat on her forehead, Susan. She inherited... Oh, right, Hang on, hang on. I saw her one day and she had... She's a... seen a fall down a steps of the Melbourne Cup. Her and Sophie Mirabella. Oh, sorry, I shouldn't say that name. Oh, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, I um, saw her going down the steps, and she had a bit of 
a few beads on her face then. I, I think it was sweat or it might have been the bubbly. <laughs> uh, it, it does make you wonder, Susan, doesn't it? Now, in you know, case... I've never fallen down steps at the Melbourne Cup or elsewhere. Oh, there, there has been occasions, Susan, when I've been amply refreshed where I've actually fallen up the steps. I remember when you fell up the steps, Bagman. I remember it very well. <laughs> Three CR. Is there something going around in Parliament House that it's all it's called the Rooters Castle, where Jeez. everybody, um, excuse my French here, seems to be up everybody else. Um, well, and it's a common it's a common fact. In the Parliament, that they all... women women are subjected to sexual harassment on a daily basis. But they all seem to work in the office of some bloke. The next thing they end up in his bed. Now, that's something Gina forgot to mention. Ah, uh, yes. You could, that's one way of climbing the corporate ladder. But we don't. We can't make assumptions about the women that work in Parliament House that have been raped, uh, who are still waiting for charges to be laid. But uh, there has recently been a report come, came down about the sexual harassment in uh, Parliament House, and it said that maybe politicians should be docked or could be docked their wages if they're found guilty of sexual harassment. Now, it doesn't say they should be, they could be, or they would be, because that's the way it is. That's what should happen to them. Uh, they shouldn't be rewarded for anything that uh, goes on in Parliament House. Isn't there something that they could put in the tea? You know, the chemical? <laughs> there's always, they're supposed to put um, bromide or something in men's tea in jails, aren't they? Or, oh, I don't know, I, I don't know. Oh, well, that wouldn't work in Parliament, would it? I mean, they don't drink cups of tea, do they? No, they don't. Uh, they've got a free bar there and whatever. But something is in the water, as you would say, Susan. Something is in the water where there is this uneven parallel between male politicians and female staff that it seems to be that they can, well, they can stand over them, I suppose, and uh, they can exploit them to a shocking degree. Yeah. Now, what what can you say about George Christensen? Oh, there's nothing. Oh, there's nothing darling. I could oh, say. I'm there's nothing. My, I'm just tying a, a scarf around my mouth. Oh. <laughs> what could well, I say? What could well, I say about the member for Manila? Well, a bloody lot, but I won't. Well, he did spend three hundred days in Manila, frequenting uh, sex bars where he met his current wife, um, and he was dubbed the Minister for Manila. Well, I don't particularly want to say anything about George Christensen, except to say that his own colleagues are now rounding up on him. Uh, Scott Morrison, 
has told him he has to apologise for going on a, a right-wing uh, uh, website in America, a right-wing uh, website by a bloke run by a bloke called Jones, who says that the Sandy Hook massacre was a fake massacre. When the, all those children were murdered, that it was a fake episode and the parents of those children were actors. Now, that's the type of people um, that uh, frequent um, these right-wing websites. And I can say nothing about George Christensen that wouldn't uh, be wasting my breath. And since when did uh, Smirko, sorry, the Prime Minister Morrison, since when did he tick George off for behaving like this? He's always let him go. Yeah, well, apparently there's there's been a an epiphany in uh, in Parliament House where Scott Morrison has said you can't say those things, Georgie boy. And not only that, the Treasurer Josh Frydenberg called him personally on the telephone and said he had to apologise. And guess what? Georgie did. Meaningless, well, meaningless. The big the big lump of lard will be uh, uh, resigning from Parliament at the next election so um, he can say anything he wants and if people want to listen to the, uh, to the tub of lard um, or lard guts, as he's known in Parliament House, um, then good luck to him. But well, he's sitting there getting a nice salary. Well, and he'll get a nice salary for the rest of his life too, Susan. So he can say whatever he likes and no one can rein him in. But there is some good news, some good news on the horizon because if you want to join a union, and you should, you've got to join a fighting Union. You've got to join a union that's going to stand up for your rights uh, to increase your wages, your conditions, and everything about your workplace. Because the retail and fast food workers union, in conjunction with Shine Lawyers, have just initiated a class action against McDonald's over McDonald's oh. failure to failure by McDonald's to provide paid 10-minute meal breaks. Now, you're doing a whole shift. might be, even if it's only four hours, you still require to go to the toilet. You still require to refresh yourself. Well, anyway, McDonald's refused. Or at one particular um, uh, McDonald's franchisee uh, refused to allow his uh, employees a 10-minute paid rest break to go to the toilet or whatever they wanted to do. Anyway, when the yeah. uh, when the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union join together with Shine Lawyers, you can rest assured that they will have a good case. And as I've said before, if you want to join a union, join a fighting union that's going to look after your interests, not look after their own. Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, ah. we un we only have to look at Susan. You know, the in the retail and fast food industry, there's uh, there are not many unions. 
One of them is the Shop Assistance Union, who have been known to sell out their members uh, to the tune of mil- uh, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, for the last five years. And they still sit on the executive of the Australian Council of Trade Unions, even though they have been found out and, uh, uh, and punished for selling out the lowest paid workers in that industry. Well, there's a rumour going around, Susan, that I wrote, I sometimes write to the age newspaper when I get a bit frustrated. Sometimes they print my, uh, my, my articles, sometimes they don't. But there's a, a strong rumour going around that the age newspaper is about to change its name to the Craig Kelly Harvey Norman Gazette. <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe that? Well, you couldn't oh. believe it. If you pick up the age and look at it, you could believe it was Craig Kelly's, couldn't you? <laughs> well, well you, you know, people people are allowed to ask. Harvey Norman, who ripped off $24 million in JobKeeper payments, refused to pay them back, um, has eight to ten pages of advertisements in the age every day. So you're entitled to ask, was any of that $24 million used to pay uh, for the advertising uh, in the age newspaper? You mean the bit that was left over after all his shareholders got got extra bonus and things? Oh, they thought shareholders, you know. Sometimes their heart goes out to them, Susan. Uh, Dividend keeper. Look back, man. I'm looking out the window here. Time is on the wing, as uh, Camo would say. Yes, and I wish I could still hear him say that. Yep. I'm looking. I'm looking at the Collingwood Town Hall clock, and it's black and and white. And you would be as biased to the as the uh, Collingwood Cheer Squad too. Too right, I am. Anyway, Susan, we find you in fine fettle. Uh, but let's go out in the same old way. Oh, why not? Dare to struggle. Dare to win. If you don't fight, you lose. And that's your blooming light. Ah, uh, Vale Peter Cundall, the yep. old Maoist. And for the final finish to the program this morning, a poem from Comrade Natasha. BL Blues So many stories told by comrades round bars of blues in the old the day the general died Death shocks us back to life and the past missed in all the strife until history insists that the stories that made the man be told by comrades round bars of blues in the old. The day the general died, they looked behind the man, behind the spectacles and scandals that submerged the urge to solidarity, to act with fucking dignity. You couldn't wait for them to ask what you'd done to say, I'm a builder's labourer, son, and name of pride 
where you dared to struggle and to win side by side or lose and wait at the padlocked gate for the means of survival till the stirring revival in broken old hearts from the fragments of union mourning at Normie's grave sends a message to Reith's second wave. Gallagher is dead, but the legacy is still alive in the words of the late Joe Hill. Don't mourn, organise his last testament, his will. Thank you.